Bibles and let's turn to the third chapter of the book of Acts, the third chapter of the book of Acts. We're in this series. Um, We're not going to be going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through Acts. We're looking at some of the um, important passages in Acts as it relates to us as God's people. And through this, we hope to see that God wants to use ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things for God. And that's what it's all about. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word as I read together, as we read together, verses 1 through 16. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. By the way, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran to gather to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health and all the presence of you all. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I don't know if you've had the opportunity or taken the time to walk in our graveyard uh, out back. But I just encourage you to do that. Not a soul out there will bother you, I promise you. And I hope you just look at some of those tombstones. You know, every tombstone has two dates. The year of birth and the year of death. And I hope you've noticed that between those two dates, there is a dash which represents the years the person lived. Linda Ellis wrote a poem called The Dash, and you can find it at her website, thedashpoem.com. Let me just read a few verses from that poem. 
I read of a man who stood to speak at a, fun- at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth, and he spoke of the following date with tears, but said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we owe on the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we lived and loved and how we spent our dash. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about you, about how you lived your dash? You know, people um, live their dash in many different ways. Some for self, some for their children, some for their friends, some for their job, their career. For some, it's money. For some, it's the things of the world. And for some, it's sinful pleasures. Let me ask you, how are you living your dash? When all is said and done and when your life on earth is over, what kind of impact will you have made for Jesus? You know, in our passage today, we see an example of how two apostles of Jesus Peter and John lived their dash. Our story takes place in the city of Jerusalem about a year after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple for the ninth hour of prayer, which was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. By the way, 3 o'clock in the afternoon was very, very significant, and I'm sure it was very significant to Peter and John. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus died on the cross, if you remember. It was 3 in the afternoon when Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus cried with a loud voice, It is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his ghost. It was three o'clock in the afternoon when the veil of that temple was rent in two from top to bottom, signifying that the way of excess to God has been opened. And now on the way to the temple, Peter and John, at three o'clock in the afternoon, passed by the beautiful gate. Josephus, the renowned Jewish um, historian, writes that the beautiful gate was made of Corinthian brass. It was overlaid with gold, 75 feet high, 60 feet wide, doors so huge that it took 20 men to close them. It was truly a beautiful gate. But the really beautiful thing is what took place at that gate. Peter and John encountered a crippled beggar lying there. It's important for us to understand that he was born crippled. We know later on in the passage that he was 40 years old. He had been crippled for 40 years. He had never taken a step in all of his life. As a boy, he was 
not able to play like the other boys played. Had to be carried wherever he went. As a man, he couldn't work and earn a living. All he could do is what he was doing, lying at the temple gate and begging for money. And that's what he did day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. But his life was about to change. As he saw Peter and John approaching, he had his hand out, begging for money. And Peter said to him, look at us. And I'm sure the man thought just at that moment, this is my lucky day. I've hit the lottery. I've won. Man, I've hit it big. But Peter said, in effect, I'm sorry, friend, we don't have any money to give. And no doubt at that time, a frown of disappointment came over the crippled man's face. Peter and John didn't have what he was asking for, but he had something far better. They had Jesus, and they offered him Jesus. In verse 6, the first part of the verse, they said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And then right after that, they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What Peter was saying, friend, I I can't help you, but I know someone who can. And his name is Jesus. Friends, we don't have anything to offer this world. We really don't. I don't have anything to offer this world. You look into the eyes of people out there and, and you see hopelessness. I don't have anything personally to offer them. But Jesus does. And Peter and John, oh, they were clear about the gospel. They really were. Well, see, this crippled man, he needed something far more than a handout. That's what he was looking for, but he needed far more than that. He needed a Savior. And Peter and John understood that. They were clear about the gospel. Friends, let's be clear about the gospel too. What people need today is Jesus Christ. Now, it's our Christian duty to help meet the physical needs of those we're able to help. The book of James is is clear about that. In fact, in James chapter 2, James says, "If, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and One of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So it is our duty to help when we can to meet people's physical needs. But meeting people's physical needs is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Feeding the poor is not the gospel. Clothing the naked is not the gospel. Curing the sick is not the gospel. And that's where a lot of the mainline denominations today have gone wrong. And they've gone to a social gospel. 
See, the gospel is not meeting the physical needs of people. The gospel is meeting man's spiritual need. Offering them Jesus. Now, now please hear me out. I'm not saying social is not important. Showing God's love and compassion by helping those in need is a beautiful way to share the gospel. In other words, it's a wonderful conduit through which we share the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, It can open up a person's heart like nothing else to be receptive to the gospel message. But the gospel is meeting man's spiritual need. It's curing man's sin sickness. And that's what the gospel does. Now look at verses 7 and 8. And he took him by the right hand, that is Peter, and raised him up. Immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. You know, I'm sure at first this this crippled man didn't understand what had happened to him. I'm sure of that. Peter grabbed him by the right hand and raised him up and said, probably in effect, Get up, man. You've been healed. You've been healed. Remember who wrote this, Dr. Luke. And he wrote as a doctor. He really did. Immediately his feet and his ankle bones came together. They came back in, in, in the right socket and, and, and they were strengthened. Jesus healed him in a flash. I would have loved to have been there. I really would have. He jumped to his feet. Just imagine, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And he started leaping and jumping up and down. And and then he entered the temple. No doubt he was singing, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, I've been healed. Again, for 40 years, this man had been a cripple, but in a flash, in a moment of time. Jesus healed him. But my friend, I want you to understand that this was more than a physical healing. Not only was this man healed of his lameness, he was cured of his sin. He was healed spiritually. This man was saved. And you know, we need to understand that often when Jesus healed a person physically, it was a picture of the spiritual healing that took place in that person's life. This man was saved. His life was radically changed. You know, me and you, you and I maybe will never see a person physically healed. But you and I can definitely see a person spiritually healed. Which is the greater miracle? When a physical healing takes place or a spiritual healing takes place? Oh, my friend, the greatest miracle of all is when a sinner is saved. The greatest miracle of all is when a person passes from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's the greatest miracle of all. And you and I have an opportunity to see that happen. Are you looking for those opportunities? Are you looking... You know, you might hate your job. You know, you might be thinking right now, my job stinks. You might not like where you live. 
You might not like your neighbors. Your, your neighbors might bug you. I, I don't know. You might not like your season in life, your station in life. But my friend, you need to realize that God in His sovereignty has put you there for a time and for a purpose to be a gospel witness to those around you to impact your world for Jesus Christ. He has put you there. And we need to stop looking at ourselves and we need to look at God and, and, and see His sovereignty that is work, that is working among us. You might be the only witness for Jesus in your neighborhood, at your job place, at your school. You might be the only witness for Jesus there. You might be thinking, well, Pastor, why do you keep talking about reaching our world for Jesus and, and making disciples? The answer is simple. <laughs> That's what God's called us to do. God hasn't called us to just huddle together in a nice, comfortable building and, and ignore the reality that there's people outside these walls that are going to hell and they need Jesus Christ. And God has called us to reach them and at least offer them Jesus. You know, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. This crippled man got saved. <laughs> and when he got saved, he got happy. He really did. He started jumping up and down, praising God right there in the temple. I'm surprised he wasn't kicked out. In fact, this poor guy would be kicked out of a lot of churches today for doing that same thing. I'm not kidding. He wouldn't be welcome in, in a lot of churches, jumping up and down and praising God and saying amen. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be very welcome in a lot of our churches. I hope he would be welcome here. Once an older gentleman approached me after church years ago and said, Pastor, I don't like that clapping in church. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when you baptize those young people the other Sunday, and after every baptism, the, the congregation started clapping, and I don't like that. And then he went on to say, when I was a boy, if I had done that, my mother would have pinched the blood out of me. The church isn't a place for that sort of thing. And I said to him, sir, with all due respect, as long as I'm pastor here, we will rejoice, and yes, we will clap and praise God Amen. when someone passes from death to life, Amen. when someone is baptized. <coughs> Folks, the church isn't a funeral. It's not a wake. Don't make it like that. <laughs> the church is a, a place of worship, and you know what worship is? Praising God, and, and you can do it silently, or you can do it with your hands in the air, and you can say it hallelujah or whatever, but church is a place to praise God for who He is and what He has done for us. It's sad to look out on the congregation and the people look like um, their rich aunt died and left all of her money to her cat. Now, I'm not saying that about you. But it might be true. 
Now see, this man was saved, and he couldn't hold himself back from praising God. I mean, when you get saved, when, when God's working in your life, when God's working in the church, it's a happy time. It's a rejoicing time. Now, there's something we must not miss here. Peter and John offered what they had, not what they didn't have. They didn't have money. They didn't have riches. They didn't have things. But they had Jesus. And that's what they offered this crippled man. If you're a believer here today, guess what? You have Jesus. I mean, he's living in your life. In fact, the Bible says the very life that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. Let me, let me ask you, are you offering Jesus to those around you? Are you offering Jesus to those around you? Or could it be you're just keeping him for yourself? I'm afraid a lot of Christians just keep Jesus to themselves. And never speak of him to anybody. Are you telling others what Jesus has done for you? You know, that's what a witness is. A witness is one who tells others what Jesus has done for them. Jesus, it's simple. Jesus changed my life. I'm not the person I used to be. Jesus died on the cross in payment for my sin. He was raised from the dead, and I'm trusting Jesus to take me to heaven for eternal life. And what Jesus did for me, he can do for you. Now, is that hard? Is that difficult? I want you to notice the effects of the healing in verses 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now notice two words that bring out the effect of this healing, wonder and amazement. The people who saw this man who had been lame from birth, walking and leaping and jumping and praising God, they were convinced that God was at work among them and they were filled with wonder and amazement. In other words, they got excited. They got happy. You know, people get excited when they see God at work. People get excited when they see God at work in a church. Nothing causes more excitement in the church than when people are saved and lives are changed. And if you want our church to be an exciting place, then get out of these walls into the community and share Jesus. It's not rocket science. This man's entire life was changed in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You know, Peter said later on in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. Notice those words. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name but Jesus can change and transform a life. No other name can do that. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can.
verses 11 and 12. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, piety we have made him walk? Now see, Peter, as he looked at the people, he, he saw something that really troubled him. They were focusing on the wrong person. They were focusing on Peter and John. They were focusing on men and not on Jesus. Peter says, why are you looking at us as though by our own power we healed this man? We had nothing to do with it. Get your eyes off of us and on Jesus. This isn't about us. It's about Christ. And you know what Peter does? He points them to Jesus. He points them to Jesus. That's what God's man always does. Points them to Jesus. You know, this is a big danger in our churches today. The danger of focusing on God's servants instead of Jesus. You know what that is? Idolatry. Yes, it is. It's nothing but idolatry. It's nothing but hero worship. And my friend, there's no place for hero worship in the church of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is our hero. Jesus is our hero. And God's man will not call attention to himself, but will make much of Jesus. Well, see, God's man will not point people to himself, but will point people to Jesus. God's man will not brag on himself, but brag on Jesus. God's man will not exalt himself, but exalt Jesus. God's man will not tell his story, but God's story. You see, a lot of churches out there are built on the personality of the preacher. Never should happen. It should be built on Jesus. A church built on the personality of the preacher will ultimately fail. Oh, you can build a big church that way. Oh, yeah. I can tell you about a hundred all around us. You can build a big church that way. But it won't make disciples. It can't. A church that impacts the world is a church that recognizes that we can do absolutely nothing, but Jesus can do everything. And see, God is calling us to share his story, his story. And that's what Peter and, and John does. Look at verses 13 and following. And they said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he decided already to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name... By faith in his name 
has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. (laughs) What a sermon. Peter shares God's story by making two very important uh, points. Number one, God glorified Jesus, but you rejected him. That's the first point. God glorified his servant Jesus, but you rejected him. And the second point is, you killed him, but God raised him up. Now let's look at the first point. God glorified Jesus, but you rejected him. You see, God glorified Jesus by declaring him to be the Son of God. But he looks at the people and says, but you arrested him and turned him over to a pagan man, Pilate. And even though Pilate knew that he was innocent and wanted to release him, you denied him by crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And you rejected the righteous Son of God and chose to to release a murderer, Barabbas, instead. God glorified Jesus, but you rejected him. And then the second point, you killed him, but God raised him up. Look at that first point. You killed the author of life. That's an oxymoron. It seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? How can you kill the author of life? Well, the truth is you really can't. Yes, they killed him. Yes, they put him on a tree and crucified him. But it only bruised his heel. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he rose the third day. Death had no power over him. Death could not conquer the Son of God. God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. By the way, Jesus was the very first one to be raised from the dead in a glorified body. He was the first, but not the last. Guess what? We will follow him. Because he lives, we will live, the Bible says. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the gospel message. Without it, we don't have a gospel. We don't have good news. Without the resurrection of Jesus, the cross accomplished absolutely nothing. If Jesus did not come out of that grave, his cross accomplished nothing. Without the resurrection of Jesus... We have no hope, and as Paul says in Romans chapter 15, we are of all men most miserable. But folks, I've got good news. I've been to the tomb. It's empty. It's empty, my friend. Jesus is risen. And Peter says in verse 15, to this we are witnesses. We're witnesses. I saw the risen Christ. I saw him. I was with him. I touched him. I ate breakfast with him after his resurrection. I was there. I saw him ascended to heaven. It really happened. And then Peter declares what changed this man's life in verse 16. He says, by faith in his name has made this man strong. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. This man was saved. 
Folks, if we're to make an impact in our world, we must do what Peter did and John did and point them to Jesus. And the best way to do this is to share your story and God's story. Your story is just your testimony. Share what God has done for you. Share how Jesus has changed your life and what he did for you, he can do for them. Share your story. You could do that in one minute. And then share God's story. That's the gospel. Share that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose again from the dead so that they might have forgiveness and eternal life. And then offer them Jesus. Invite them to do what you did. Invite them to trust Jesus. We can't save anybody. But we can offer and leave the results to God. Let me ask you, this week, who can you share your story and God's story with? I'm saying, God places people in our path. He does that every day. And you might not realize it, but God is already working to place somebody in your path this week. So you can share that story. You can't save that person, but you can share your story and God's story and just leave the results to God. You see, God wants to use ordinary you to do something extraordinary for God. Are you willing? How are you living your dash? It's just a short period of time. Are you living it for Jesus? Are you living it to point people to the Savior? See, God wants to use ordinary Norman to do something extraordinary that only he can do. Are you willing? Let's pray together.